Jesus, we thank you that you're a Lord. We thank you, God, that you see into every part of us, that you, you know us. God, you know the dark places, and you shine light. Jesus, we thank you that, that you've been revealed through your word, Lord. We, we've talked about that. The Father testifying through your word. And, and Holy Spirit, we pray that, that today you'd open up your word to our hearts because we, we need to hear from you. We, we need to rightly understand who Jesus is. Jesus, we, we want to believe. Like John wants us to believe. God, will you, will you help us to believe in Christ? Will you help us to be satisfied? Like that song said, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. God, could we say that? Would that be true of us? So Lord, would you bless this time in your word? Would you speak, Father, through me? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you do have a Bible, we're in, we're in uh, John chapter 6. Um, and if, uh, like Sherry mentioned, or Matt, I can't remember who mentioned, we have a bunch of new Bibles we bought that we would love. If, if you forget your Bible when you come on a Sunday, uh, we've got them out at the front. We've even got some at the sound booth here. So if you want a Bible, you can grab those. Actually, Sherry's walking in with Bibles right now. So you can raise your hand if you want a Bible. It's not embarrassing. Um, anyway, if you get one of those Bibles, uh, it's on page 891. So that's a benefit, too, is you just get to go straight there. Um, anyway, we're in John chapter 6. And, and in this passage, uh, Jesus reveals himself as the one who has power to, to miraculously provide in abundance. Right? This is a, uh, a miracle that a lot of us are probably fairly familiar with, may, maybe almost all of us. Uh, and we see his abundant provision, but then we also see the response of the crowd and, and, and the agenda that they have for him, that they try and put on Jesus, and, and Jesus is having none of it. Um, I was thinking this week uh, about moments in my life when, when I've been satisfied, um, when I've been satisfied by, by different, just different memories I have. I'll share a couple of you with them. I'm, I was, I wanted to be an athlete. I think I'm just now like coming to grips with like, I was really never that athletic, but, um, but I, I wanted to be an athlete. I played all kinds of sports. Um, one of my crowning achievements, or I don't know if it's crowning achievement, but w one of my favorite plays ever. I was eighth grader uh, playing baseball. I was a catcher. Um, and it was a tight game. We, we were winning. There's a runner on second, runner on third, and uh, we only had one out. And, and our pitcher delivers the ball, batter swings, and it comes off the bat really funny. And, and essentially, it was like a terrible bunt that was just sitting like three feet out in front of me. And, and I, I ran up. I grabbed the ball. I looked the guy back at third and, and made him guess, like, is he really going to come for me or not? But we had to get the out. So I look him back. I throw it at first. Get that guy out. My first baseman. Man, I'm getting chills right now. My first baseman. <laughs> I'm not even joking. First baseman throws it to me. Perfect throw. I lay the tag just as the guy slides in. We, we turn a double play. Man, a double play in baseball, in any sport, like a double play is just, there's something about it that's great. I don't even like baseball that much anymore. And it, there, there's something about it. And I'm pumped. And I just yell. And I spike the ball through my legs and walk to the dugout like so satisfied. So satisfied. There's another time, this is in sports, there's another time I, I, I took a couple buddies uh, 
to go fly fishing on the Deschutes River. They'd never been. I'd, I've been talking about it. I got them all, all uh, rigged up, and, and I, I put them in, in the, on our little stretch of the river where, where we were, I put them in the two places where I'm like, this, I think this is your best chance to catch a fish. Because you don't want to take someone fishing and not have them catch a fish, right? So, so I set them up, and, and I'm pumped, and, and then I go, and, and I tie on my fly, and I walk down to what I think is the third best place, not as good as the other two. And I cast, and my dry fly, like it just lays down right on the water. Presentation could not have been any better, right? And this trout just jumps out of the water and gulps that thing up. And I'm, I'm setting the hook, and I'm, I'm woo-hooing, like I'm shouting. I'm so excited, right? And I bring this fish in. I've never caught a fish on the first cast. I was, it was satisfying. It was good. Uh, several years ago, uh, Lindsay and I, we, uh, with, with little kids, it's hard to, uh, to be able to get away and celebrate even one night for your anniversary, right? So we hadn't done it for years. Uh, so we, we finally, I can't remember how old our, our oldest kids were, but they were still pretty little. Uh, but we, we decided this year we're, we're going to get away. And we go to Skamania Lodge, and we, I, I think we went out into the town and, and ate, um, and then came back and had dessert there. And uh, the weather's beautiful. It's August, so the temperature outside was just perfect. The sun was just starting to set. So we took our dessert outside, and the, the, the scenery there, it's unbelievable. I mean, it overlooks the, the gorge and the, the, the hues uh, in, the, in the sky from the sunset were just, just beautiful. And I'm there with my wife, and I just thought, ah, this is great. Like, so, so satisfying. A couple years ago, um, when Lindsay and I flew home from China, when, when we just picked up Maddie, um, we'd been away from, from our kiddos for two weeks, our other kids, missed two birthdays, missed Easter. Like, it was, it was hard being away, even though, you know, we were adopting our, our new daughter. And, and, and we land um, at PDX, and we're walking through the halls, and, and then you turn that corner where then, if you have people that are actually in the airport waiting for you, like, you can, you can see them at the security point. And, uh, and, and we turn that corner, and there are my kids, my other kiddos, and they're just, they're so excited. Like, one of them literally is jumping up and down. Like, they can't contain themselves. And, and, and then finally we get to them, and, and our whole family was together, right? Like, we'd been, we'd been wanting to adopt for years now, this process, and it, was, it, it came to this culmination where we were all together in such, such satisfaction that day. And this gospel account Jesus, he, he provides. He provides this, this miracle for the crowd, this meal. And their bellies are satisfied. They're full. right? They, they don't need anything else. And yet, Jesus doesn't want our, our belly to just be satisfied. Right? He wants us to be satisfied in him. That song, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Like all, all the other stuff, it, it, it's good. Don't get me wrong, but, but it's it's not Jesus. Like, Jesus is the one who can truly satisfy. I think this passage asks us several questions, one of which is, why do you come to Jesus? What is it about Jesus that, that gets you interested, intrigued? Why do you come to him? Are you satisfied in Jesus? Is he truly enough for you? Another question that this, this text brings up, and I think John just keeps bringing this up over and over again, is are you right about who Jesus is? Like, Do you actually have a correct, a correct understanding of who Christ is? 
John, John describes this miracle, and, and really all the miracles, they're, they're a sign. He calls them signs to point to who Jesus is. Right? Not, not to get excited about the miracle, but to get excited about the miracle worker. And, and, and we'll see with this crowd, they, they miss it. They miss who Jesus is. They're fixated on what he did. They, they want more of that. They, they've got their agenda, but they miss who Jesus is. I don't know if you've been to the birthday party of, like, say, a two-year-old. And um, the, say their aunt buys them this present. And the aunt went shopping for the niece and, and, and found what, what they were just convinced the niece would love. Right? They buy this present, and, and they, they put it in a box. They can wrap it and just make it as beautiful as possible for, for a little niece's birthday. And, and little girls open up the presents. Maybe she needs some help. She rips off the, the, uh, the wrapping paper, but needs help getting the box open. And she opens up the box, and her eyes are just huge. And, and she goes, and she grabs the box and plays with the box. Not the present. I don't know if you know this about kids, but little, little kids love boxes. And if you're a good parent or aunt, you're okay with that. Like, sure, yeah, I spent a lot of time and some money buying this present for you, but yeah, that box is cool. That's, have fun with that box. But you look and go, come on. It's just a box. And, and do, we, do, we miss, do we miss Jesus like the little girl misses the, the present? Do we miss that Jesus is the gift? Right? Not, not, not the miracle. There's nothing wrong with the miracle. Miracle is great. Jesus did it for a reason, but the reason was to point to him, the gift, the, the treasure. So we'll, let's jump into the passage here. Verse 1, chapter 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So this miracle, feeding the 5,000, is in all four Gospels. Right? The, the only other time we see that is, is the resurrection, which makes sense that that's in all four Gospels. But all four Gospel writers thought, I'm, I'm putting this, this miracle in there. The, the very first two words just say after this in verse 1, which just tells us that some time passed. And when we look at the other Gospels, we can see, okay, it's been probably about six months. So there's really a lot that's happened between five and six. We don't get this in, in, in the Gospel of John, but John the Baptist has been beheaded by this point. We learn in another Gospel that Jesus, after teaching them, after them seeing him do miracles, after seeing him teach, he sends them out to go minister to the Jews, right? And they, they've come back now, and, and they're, they're up on a mountain together. And my guess is maybe they're having a little debrief on, on, on how things went, on what happened. I don't know for sure. It says this large crowd is coming. It tells us why. They saw the signs. Specifically, they saw Jesus healing the sick, Right? And we think, like over the last 10 years or so, I feel like there's been a lot of grumbling about our health care system, cost of premiums and all that. I don't know what their health care was like, but they're excited for free health care. Okay? They're excited for effective free health care. So they're coming in a large, large group. It says in verse 4 that the Passover is at hand. And, and I know sometimes we, we read, we're like, okay, I know the Passover matters, but 
sometimes that we forget, like, what are these different feasts all about? So the Passover is at hand. Uh, this is a big, big deal for them, for Israel as a nation. It's, it's bigger than this, but think of Fourth of July for us, right? It seems like everyone I know celebrates Fourth of July, even if they just want to blow up stuff. Like, they're celebrating the Fourth of July. Passover is way bigger deal, way, way bigger to the nation of Israel. This, this is when... God freed the Israelites from the Egyptians, right? This is the, the Exodus story. You say Passover, they think of the lamb that was slaughtered. Each household slaughters a lamb, right? They take the blood and they paint it on the doorpost. The angel of death passes over all the households that have the door, all the households that had the lamb that was the substitute for them. They pass over, they have this in their mind. They remember that God provided a way for them to escape from judgment. They remember Moses, their hero, their, their great leader. They remember the time in the wilderness, probably, with, with the manna and God providing for them. So all of this is on their minds as the Passover approached. Verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? There's this huge crowd. Who knows if they're poor planners? Maybe, maybe some of them expected Jesus to do something. I'm not sure. But Jesus asked Philip, who was from the area, where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? We have 5,000 men plus their families. Where would you go, Philip? You're from here. The need is great. These people are going to be hungry soon. What would you do, Philip? You've been with me for a while. What seems like a reasonable solution to you? Verse 6 tells us this is a test. He said, uh, verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew, Jesus knew what he would do. So Jesus, he wasn't confused what the game plan was. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, but he's testing Philip. He could have just swooped in and said, all right, boys, here's the plan. But he wanted to see if Philip would look to Jesus. Would Philip think in an earthly way, like we've seen over and over again, this, this earthly plane of thinking throughout this gospel, or would, Jesus recognize, or would Philip recognize who Jesus is? Will Philip say, yeah, Jesus, I remember what you did at the wedding. I remember they were out of wine, and you miraculously turned all that water into wine. Jesus, you can do this. Buying bread doesn't make sense, but you have the power to make this happen. So, so this is a test. It's an opportunity to see what Philip really believes about Jesus. And, and we get these tests in life, right? Over and over again, some small tests, some big tests, but we get opportunities to see if we truly trust Jesus because we say we believe these things, and then we're faced with something, and then we find out, okay, do I really believe that? Do, am I really going to depend, to depend on Jesus right now? Do I really trust that he is good? And then we get the results of those tests, how we respond, and we get to learn and grow from those tests. So how about Philip, though? A few chapters back, he proclaimed that, that Moses and the prophets had written about Jesus. Philip was an eyewitness to miracle after miracle that Jesus had done. So Philip, he had seen the power and the glory of Jesus. Verse 7, Philip's response. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little 200 denarii, a day's wage for a laborer was one denarius. 
So this, he's talking about a substantial amount of money, about eight, eight months worth of wages. And Philip's right. Like even that giant amount of money that they didn't have, that would not be enough for them to solve this problem. Right? And imagine, even if they did had the eight months worth of wages, and even if that was enough bread, which it wouldn't be, what are they going to do? Like go into the town and, and talk to the baker and say, hey, we got kind of a big group out there. Um, how much bread do you have on hand right now? And how much more can you make? Here's 200 denarii. Like it, it, logistically, there's no way it would work out. This, this is a big problem, and there's no answer, humanly speaking. And it's easy for us to look at the disciples or the crowds, or the, the, the religious leaders, and, and bash them. But we're the same, right? We're just like them. We see God provide. God meets, God meets a need that you have. Maybe it's a bill that, that you had no way to pay. I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of us in this room that had that happen, and God, out of nowhere to us, he provides a, a way to pay that bill. Or, or, or God providentially puts you, connected you with this person and, and provides something that, that you needed there. Or, 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 or he gives you this, this peace that is unexplainable in a situation that, that should be anything but peaceful. And, and hopefully, when God does things like that or other things, provides for us in, in incredible ways, we recognize it, we thank him. Maybe we even tell others to encourage them. But as time passes, we tend to forget. I forget all the things that God has done. Or the ones that I remember still, I don't remember what a huge deal they were. I don't remember how panicked and how stressed, how demoralized I was when God met me in the moment of my need. So then we find ourselves in a new difficult situation and we've forgotten who Jesus is. It's as if it didn't even happen. We forget the power that God has to miraculously provide. We forget somehow our own history with God. Verses 8 and 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Even what we have is, is measly. These barley loaves, it's like poor man's bread. They're little tiny loaves, really not much. The fish, the guess is that there are maybe a couple small pickled fish. So this is at best like a pretty decent snack. It doesn't really sound like much of a meal. And this is all they have. They see the problem. The disciples see the problem. They get it, but they have no solution at all. In verse 10, Jesus takes over. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. The men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and then he'd given thanks, and he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Jesus has all the people sit down, and so 5,000 men, right? So it's easy to think that this number could be 10,000, no problem, right? But if they had much of a family at all, even 20,000 is no problem. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time. I don't hang out with 20,000 people much, right? So I have a hard time really conceptualizing that. So if you've ever been to a trailblazer game, Moda Center, their average attendance last year was 19,000 and some change, right? So imagine you walk into the Moda Center, you and, and your 19,138 other friends haven't eaten, and you were planning on eating there. 
and you find out that, I don't know, all the refrigeration systems were bad or something like that. And all there is, there's five biscuits and, and three slices of lunch meat, right? <laughs> and this is, what, this is what is going to feed you. So, so let's say that could happen. Can you just imagine, okay, everyone go find your seat and we're going to distribute all of this food. Hangry people, raise your hand first so we can get it. <laughs> you don't really have to. <laughs> That was awesome. Um, <laughs> totally caught me off guard. Um, but anyway, so 20,000 people, 10 to 20,000 people here that, that need to be fed. And, and Jesus, he, he starts breaking the bread. He gives thanks to the Father, right? Because we know from a few weeks ago in the passage, Jesus does nothing without the Father, they're, they're totally in step together. They're total union in, in what Jesus does and what the Father does. Right? They're in this together. He's breaking the bread. And it says he distributed it, which is interesting to me that John says he distributed it. The other, the other gospel accounts, they make it clear. He gave it to the disciples. They took it out. So why does John say that? I think he says that because he wants it to be clear that, that Jesus is the source of this miraculous provision. No one else There's no other explanation besides Jesus multiplying this bread. And miracles, they're they're hard to believe. They're they're supernatural, right? They're beyond nature. So so oftentimes people look at Scripture and they want to explain, well, this is what really happened. And and, and they want to take out the miracle. They want to explain it in a non-miraculous way. So one... uh, kind of crazy explanation Gary was telling me about, was uh, that basically Jesus shamed all the people, that they all actually had food with them, that they weren't revealing. And Jesus said, come on, even this little kid, he's going to give his five loaves and fish for all of you. Get your food out. And everyone's like, okay, Jesus. And they get their food out. Right? They, uh, that's ridiculous. No, Jesus, Jesus is, is the one. John wants us to know that Jesus did this miracle. He is the only one who has power to provide for the people. And the, the, the provision isn't meager. It's, it's abundant. And it's amazing that Jesus took basically nothing and provides a meal in abundance for, for 10 to maybe 20,000 people. It says everyone was satisfied. Verse, uh, verses 12 and 13. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left, uh, left by those who had eaten. All the people ate. They, they all ate until they were satisfied. Um, uh, some ate more, some ate less, but, but everyone had what they want. They were, they were totally satisfied with what Jesus had provided. And he didn't just provide enough. There's, there's leftovers. I don't know if you've been to a restaurant with, with uh, like close friends or family, and, and instead of ordering a dish, like each person just orders their own dish, you, you kind of do it family style, right? And you're like, yeah, let's get, let's get some, I don't know, some, some fried rice. Let, let's get some noodles. Like you order all these dishes, and everyone's just kind of, And the trick always is like, man, we got to get enough and we don't want to go crazy, but we do not, we don't want to run out either. And and, and so often it seems when I'm in that situation, there's either a ton and it's clear like, yeah, we need it to go container or multiple or, or there's that situation where there's a plate and there's like three bites left. It's like, nobody's, you're not getting a to go container for that. 
And, and everybody's like, come on, somebody, like take one for the team, finish this off, even though you're full, like just take those last three bites. That was not our situation here, right? It wasn't a situation where people go, ah, oh, there's just a little, I'll have that last morsel. Jesus says, no, there's so much. I need you to gather it up. I need you to gather up all the fragments of this bread. So he sends the disciples out. And, and I, I think that this was for the crowd, certainly, to, to see Jesus' abundant provision. But I think there's probably even a, a, a deeper lesson, or, or at least I think that the disciples took it in in a deeper way as they went out and, and they had to gather the fragments. They're going among 20, 10 to 20,000 people gathering the leftovers. They've got their basket. And they're, I'm sure they're shocked, like, man, I can't believe there's more. And they, they keep walking around and feeling it. And they literally felt the weight of God's provision as they carried this basket. I think there was no doubt in the mind of the disciples of how awesome God's provision was there. Every gospel talks about the exact number. There's 12 baskets. They all walked away with this accurate understanding of how abundant God's provision was. So does this lead to belief? Because over and over again in, in John, he makes it clear that the goal is that we would believe in Jesus. Not just intellectually believing in Jesus, but, but that we would receive Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior. That, that we would trust him, that we would put our hope in him, that, that our faith would be in him, that we would depend on, on Jesus, that, that we believe in Jesus as the only one who satisfies, the only one who gives life. And the miracles should lead to belief. That's the point of the miracles, right? The point isn't to be enamored with some miracle, but to be in awe of who Jesus is. It's a sign pointing not just to something, but to someone meant to point to the glory of the only Son of God. Verse 14, the result of the sign. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. They see what Jesus did, and they said, this is the prophet. And they're talking about Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll read a couple of the verses there for you. It says, the Lord your God, this is Moses, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen to. And then skipping down to verses 18 and 19. God's saying, I will raise up for, you, for them a prophet like you, like Moses, from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So they were told through Moses, there's going to be a prophet like Moses. right? And Jesus, here in this miracle, he could not have done a more Moses-like thing in providing this bread. I'm sure they thought back to the manna. This next passage, we'll, we'll get into the manna. But I'm sure they thought back and they remember, oh, God, God provided. God provided Moses. He told Israel about the manna. And God provided. Here's Jesus doing this very Moses-like thing. Are they right that Jesus was the prophet that Moses spoke of? Yeah, they're, they're totally right. But the problem was, they were too hung up on the like me piece of it, as if, Mo, as if Jesus was Moses 2.0, right? As if Jesus w was just a little bit better than Moses. No, Jesus was like-ish Moses, but Jesus was so, so much better than Moses. Verse 15, it says, perceiving, this is Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain 
by himself. They were ready. They were ready to make him the king. They wanted this bread provider to now be their king. If he could feed a crowd like this out of nothing, certainly he could free Israel from Roman rule. Were they correct? Totally. Jesus could do that. If that's what Jesus wanted to do, if that was his agenda, he could do that. They were right. Jesus was king, but not in the way they were thinking. Not an earthly king that would rule by military might. He was the king of kings. Instead of conquering with the sword, he was going to conquer by laying down his life. He was going to willingly be arrested, beaten, crucified. And then the evidence of the conqueror would come three days later when he resurrected from the dead. A side-by-side comparison of, of the crowd's agenda for Jesus and what they wanted and what they thought he should do and Jesus' agenda that was set by him and the Father had very little that were the same. Maybe almost all of it was different. Jesus knew what they wanted. They knew how, how, how low their aim was, how low their understanding of Christ was, and he wasn't going to let them force their agenda onto him. The only agenda that mattered was the agenda set by him and the Father. So Jesus, he, he withdraws to the mountain by himself, and it's, it's a sobering thought to me that the people could know that he was the prophet that Moses had talked about. They could recognize in him, this guy's the king. Right? They could use the right language, say the right words, and yet be really, really wrong about who Jesus actually was. Are you right about who Jesus is? Are you right about who Jesus is? Because if you're wrong about Jesus, if your view of Jesus is too small, it's a giant giant problem. Jesus wants them to believe in him. John wants us to believe in Jesus, but he wants us to believe in Jesus rightly. We need to know who Jesus said he was, who the Father revealed Jesus to be through the word, not just make Jesus who we want him to be, right? not to make Jesus a, a, a Jesus that gets us the things that we want, or a Jesus that gets me to the places I want in life, not just a Jesus that, that makes me comfortable or a Jesus that cares not about truth so much, but just about not rocking the boat. We can make Jesus a Jesus that agrees with our politics, no matter what you believe politically, a Jesus that, that, that would just keep us from pain, a Jesus that if we do good things, he'll do good things for us. I mean, the prosperity gospel people aren't the only people that put their agenda on Jesus. We are just as capable, and I'd argue we do it a lot. We want to fit Jesus into a box, and the reality is there's no box that Jesus fits into. We can't, we can't fathom how great Jesus is. We, we, we can read about his power and, and, and kind of get it, and yet we don't understand the power of Jesus. You're in heaven someday, right? if, if you've placed your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin, we're going to be so blown away by Jesus. All these things that we thought we understood and go, man, I don't, was that even the tip of the iceberg? Like Jesus is so far beyond our understanding. Our shared truth for today is Jesus reveals himself as the one who has power to miraculously provide in abundance. And yet he will not be forced into human agendas. Right? We, we cannot miss that the power here in Jesus' provision and what he provided was good. Please don't hear me wrong that, that, man, you can't be excited about the miracles that Jesus does. No, that's not true. 
He, he provides. He provides in abundance. And yet we, man, if we're wrong about Jesus, if we put our agenda on him, he's not going to settle for it. Verses uh, 16 through 21 to end this passage. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. For they were, uh, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The disciples get into the boat not too long after the miracle of, of him multiplying the bread and the fish. And, and I'm sure at some point in the boat they're talking about it. Someone says, man, that was, that was nuts. Like, I remember what he did at the wedding. Like, that was pretty crazy. I just didn't realize how incredible Jesus is. I mean, I knew he was the son of God, but the, the power that he has, he can do anything he wants. And, and then another guy chimes in. He's like, yeah, I was, I, I was just trying to watch his hands as he broke the bread. And, and my brain was trying to make sense of what I was seeing. And, and I just couldn't. And, and then the leftovers, it was crazy. Twelve baskets full. Jesus is so much greater than I realize, and I'm sure they're talking about that. And they're, they're rowing in the boat. It says it gets dark. It says the, the wind comes, and, and apparently it's a pretty normal thing there. A storm will blow in. Waves will get really choppy, super windy, and, and rowing's difficult. And John tells us, he doesn't say that they're afraid of the wind of the waves here. He says they see Jesus, and, and they're afraid. They, they see Jesus walking to them, and, and they're afraid. And they're liberal scholars that, again, try and explain away what happened here. Right? I've, I've read some people say Jesus was just walking on the shore, or Jesus was walking on a sandbar. They're not going to be afraid uh, of that. Jesus was walking on the water, and, and it scared them. And he says, it's me. Don't be afraid. Or one commentator said, uh, more literally, it means stop. Just stop. Stop being afraid. It, it's, it's me. Because when Jesus is present, there, there is nothing to fear. There's, there's no circumstance that Jesus is not Lord over. I wonder if Jesus is telling you today, stop being afraid. Trust me. When I'm rational, I, I know that Jesus, he's got it all under control. I know that he has power over every situation. No matter how bleak things look, I know my hope is in Christ when, when my brain is right. The disciples here, they're, they're stuck because of the wind and, and the waves. And, and some of these men are really experienced on the sea. And here comes Jesus. He's not phased at all. He's strolling across the water. The, the same water that's topsy-turvy, going crazy with this wind. And here comes Jesus just taking a walk in the middle of the storm. No problem. And Jesus says, it's me. Don't, don't be afraid. They recognize Jesus they invite him on the boat. They gladly receive him to the boat. But it doesn't stop there. Right? He, he just throws on this, this little thing at the end there. And immediately the boat was to the land which they were going. Right? Another miracle. As if it's not a big deal. The boat just whoop! I don't know if it made that sound. Probably didn't. <laughs> but 
Jesus gives this, this series of three miracles. And, and to me, these last five ber- verses are like an exclamation point on, on the passage. Uh, Jesus, Jesus revealed to them how glorious he is, how, how powerful he is. And he, again, the point of the miracles, like as cool as that is that the boat did that, man, don't get enamored with the miracle. Be enamored with, with who Jesus is. Be, awe, be in awe of the one who did the miracle. Because it's easy for us to get excited about the things that Jesus does, the gifts that he gives, and miss that he's actually the gift. He's the, the, the treasure. The people, they had full stomachs, and that's nice. But they missed out on recognizing the power of Jesus, that, that Jesus is the only Son of God. Are we satisfied with the stuff of Jesus? Or is it in Jesus himself? Can you sing, Alleluia, all I have is Christ? Or do we come to Jesus just wanting him to give to us? Jesus is worthy of being our treasure, the one who satisfies every hunger, every thirst, your entire being, your very soul. He wants us to come to him and see that he is Lord. And as we'll go through John, I hope that that's clarified for us more and more of who Jesus is. We have desires like the people, like the crowd. We have real desires, physical needs, desires like, like eating bread, drinking water. And yet Jesus came to recalibrate our desires into what will satisfy us forever, namely himself. We're going to come during these next couple songs. We're going to take communion. We'll have men up here serving communion to you. And they're going to say, body of Christ broken for you. And next week we'll get more into what's this bread of life thing about. But they're going to say body of Christ broken for you. Jesus' body broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. That Jesus died. He shed his blood to pay for your sins. You can receive the elements and take them back to your chair and and, and take them whenever you're ready. I'm not going to come up and instruct you to take them all together. So I I just encourage you to take your time and and receive this. And also we'll have our prayer team in the back. We'll have the doors open in the back in the foyer there. If you want prayer for anything at all, um, go. Go ask people to pray for you. You'll be blessed by it. Let me pray now. Jesus, Can we, can we really say, hallelujah, all I have is Christ? Jesus, would, would you continue to show us how awesome you are? I pray for anyone that they hear that you did this miracle or these three miracles and it's a struggle for them to believe. Jesus, would you help us in our unbelief, Lord? God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you for all the gifts that you do provide. But Lord, I, I, I just pray that and we, we wouldn't like that little girl. We wouldn't just play with a box when the treasure's right there, Jesus. Would we treasure you, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen.